save my voice so we can make it through and we'll pray. Our Lord and our God, I just pray that you use these words to give us a proper assessment of ourselves. Let us understand the truths that we heard. Give us clarity. And clarity what we should do with the great gift and the great truths that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. No. Luke 8, starting in verse 11. If, you know, the, he gave the, Jesus said the parable of the sower, and we're all pretty familiar with that. So he says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when you hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come, come in, can see the light. For there's nothing hidden, hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, it will be taken from him. You may be seated. <clears throat> you know, we, we completed the, our study in the book of Acts, and I just didn't feel I could leave it where it was at. I mean, there's so many valuable lessons there in that book. Lessons that do affect us today, and they should affect us how we live our lives. And you're wondering how this ties in with this sermon of the sower. Because as you, you study when Jesus walked the earth and preached, when Paul did in the book of Acts, and as we're, we're going to look at some of these early church movements, we'll see the same pattern. Some believe and are saved. Others completely reject and are lost. And like I say, there's two camps, there's three groups. There's one group in the middle they hear the word, they walk away scratching their hens, heads, pondering it, considering it. And in time, they will end up in one or the other groups. But also, as we look at this, we have to realize 
Who is the giver of life? Who causes that seed to sprout in our lives? And why not in somebody else's life? And I think that's where we're, what we're looking at, going to be looking at today. And the reason why is because I want us, all of us, as we go into this short series, I don't know how long it will be, to give an honest assessment of ourselves. So I said, why are we here? Why not someone else? Why are we here in this time of history? Why has God put us here? And I know we're all still stained with sin. But we are the church that are to represent a holy God and advance his kingdom. And there will be questions that will challenge us to look outside the box. Because all of us are stained or influenced by the culture we grew up in. So if we look at other cultures and where the church was at, different forms of government, I'm hoping that we can answer some of those questions or at least bring them up. I mean, God's church does not hinge on America's survival or, or the United States' form of government. Other governments served God. And what about civil and church law being united? You know, many sins that are accepted today were outlawed in our country in the past. And if God is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, does he not rule everything? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns it all. So doesn't he have the right to rule it all? You know, we've been raised in a culture of tolerance. A culture of tolerance or living in tolerance is just losing by the installment plan. God commands us to follow his law without tolerance. So if we keep giving and giving and giving, all we're doing is losing and bending the knee to the wicked piecemeal. But that's a norm for us in our lives. But is it right? And what about rulers? How are they to act? You know, the church step back, so you've got to obey the civil magistrates. It says that. Does it? What does God's word say? Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is kindled, quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. 
serve the Lord with fear and trembling, it tells the kings and the rulers. I would say they're to follow God's law. Again, these are some questions that will come up that I want us to ponder because I want to ponder what our life is here, what it's for. I'm going to read a little more from uh, Luke 8. We're going to jump back to verse 9. The disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. He's quoting from Isaiah, from the, I think I used that in our last message as well, when Hosea or Isaiah, was sent to preach, preach judgment. Preach that God had closed their eyes and deafened their ears. And Isaiah said, how long? And God told Isaiah, till the judgment comes. You're not going to have any luck, buddy. These people are lost, and God turned them over. Knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, he speaks in parables. Though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. I hope that gives us a little insight in why school leaders think having drag queens come in for kindergartners and teaching sex to kindergarten and first graders is good. They don't see God's law. They never will. God has turned them over to their own sin. And they want to spread it. They want to spread it. So we see two camps. Why are we in these camps? Are we ones without sin? No, in Romans it tells us, Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all sinned. You know, it gives us a good idea of where we start out. But the Bible says, let everything be established by two or three witnesses. So in Genesis 8.21, it says, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. So even as children were evil, but he goes even further in Psalm 51.5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Again, I want to give us an honest assessment of ourselves before we were saved. We sinned. We were sinners. And how did we live then? 
in Ephesians 4.18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Ezekiel 36.26 tells us, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And like I say, the third witness is John 8, 43, 44. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. So it's clear, we were all in that camp at one time. We were all sinners who wanted to carry out Satan's desires. But that should give us some inclination why we see why the wicked want to pass their wickedness on. You want to carry out your father's desires. They're driven to serve their master, Satan. So how come we're saved? How come not others? It tells us the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. This comes from Romans. Against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. And here is the scary part. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator, who was forever praised. Amen. God is a patient God. But there is times when he just gives people over to their sinful desires. That is when he blinds their eyes and stops up their ears. They will not learn. They will not. They are incapable. Corrupt man, left unchecked, is given over to God's wrath where he lets the wickedness continue. It tells us, the Lord looked down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand and any who seek God. 
All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's the desire of unnatural man not to do good. Or natural man. And what happens when God turns these people over? They will hate Christians. They will hate righteousness. They will love wickedness. They will promote wickedness. Wicked things. Do you see any wicked things occurring in our nation? No, and man is incapable of seeking salvation on his own. So we have to look at why are we here? Who initiated it? Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Bring in more witnesses. Ephesians 2.5, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And in Galatians 6.15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. So it's definitely, we have to be changed by God, by the Holy Spirit. In John 3, 3, it tells us in reply, Jesus declares, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That is the difference between a regenerate man and an unregenerate man. And who initiates this? Who initiates this? John 3, 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In Titus 3, 5, again, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And in John 3, 6, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You know, it leaves no doubt, or it should leave no doubt in any of our minds. That if we are dead in our transgressions, dead in our sin, we cannot help ourselves. It is the Holy Spirit that transforms us. And it's through God. It says, for by grace, in Ephesians 2.8, you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourself, it is gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. A gift from God. Why that gift? 
Why? For us. In Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. We are to act in his good purpose. We are to be different. In John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It goes back to the question, why are you here? You're here because you were given to Jesus Christ by God the Father. Tells us in Romans 9, not only that, but Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac, that before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand not by works by him who calls she was told the older will serve the younger just as it's written Jacob I love but Esau I hated what then shall we say is God unjust not at all for he says to Moses I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. It's clear. That God chose you for election. Remember, Jesus said, I will not lose any that you have gave me. And what I want to question each and every one of us is why did God give you to Jesus? Something we must ask ourselves and ponder. As we see the wickedness in our nation rage more and more, why aren't we out there joining it? Why did God the Father say, I chose you, you and you, and gave you to Jesus Christ for salvation? It's for the good works. It's to engage the culture. It's to be the culture carrier. Now, unfortunately, we were raised in an era of church pietism. I remember a minister telling me, oh, don't have anything to do with government. That's ugly stuff. Church has nothing to do with that. Well, then, what do they think will happen? Who does? The wicked? Kings serve God, it says. 
ridiculous. That's the older of the things that really influenced the church and brought us partially why we're here today. Another one is the, oh, I'm going to be beamed up, raptured, and gone. Satan's going to rule. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He will not get off that throne for a second and hand it over to Satan. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He will not hand it over to Satan. They go, oh, but it says Satan's the god of this world. Yeah, he's the influence of this world. He's the god of many people in this world. It's figurative speaking. This is our home. God created it. This will be our home in the future. Oh, but it's going to be destroyed by fire, it says. No. Figurative. What does he say about us? We're refined seven times like silver. It means a renewed earth will be here. All these things determine how we live our lives, how we live our, this culture. And if we, as believers, back out and say, well, we can't be part of government, we can't be part of this, we can't influence that, God is in no control there, we're pathetic as Christians. God rules. Period. So we have to look outside of our cultural box, our tolerating spirits, and say, oh, it's good to love even though they're wicked sinners. No. We can love them, but loving them is telling them God's law. It's uncompromising. That's all the culture has changed. Each and every time the church rose up, it wasn't went back to the God being King Jesus. And the rulers were to kiss the sun. And God's people would not kiss the rings of the emperors. I just pray that we learn to be such a people for this time in history. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, you saved us for a purpose, a reason, and a cause. You work in the hearts of men. You, you, God selected us. Gave us life at this time in history, in this location. Now each and every one of us say, why? Why, Lord? And it is because we each have a task to do, to serve him. But to serve him faithfully and understand that he is a dictator. He's the only righteous dictator there ever is, or was. He dictates his laws, and we must not compromise them away as his ambassadors. Lord, I just pray that you bring us up to be such a people that stand in the gap for truthfulness, like the Dutch reformers in the past did, who stood against their wicked leaders and said, no, thus says King Jesus, he's our king, not you. 
Lord, teach us to be such a people. Amen.